0: You're listening to a podcast from Two, The Literature Corner.
1: And today is the Kate's edition of The Literature Corner. Uh, With me is one of our faves, Kate Sidley, who's a writer, book reviewer, and just awesome, full stop. Kate, thanks so much for coming in. Always lovely to see you. And uh, we've got another Kate that we also love to bits, uh, who runs one of our favorite, favorite establishments in Jersey, the owner of Love Books in Melville. Kate Rogan. Kate, thank you so much for coming to the studio. It's wonderful seeing you. Yeah,
2: thank you, UCBS. It's so
1: weird seeing you, not in Melville. When I think about you, I think think about Melville. (laughs) So you actually do get to other parts of the city as well.
2: Sometimes.
1: (laughs) Uh, Kate has to give me a lift. Kate Sidley, we've chosen, I think, a really fun conversation to have today. Because I think it's going to be part nostalgia, but also helpful for many people who have youngsters and maybe prepubescent uh, human beings and teens in their lives as well. What are we going to talk about for the next 30 minutes?
3: So, the original idea was to talk about what we read as children and to get hopefully some feedback from some of your listeners about what they read um, and just to think more broadly about children 's literature and um, yeah and why it's important, I think one of the things that that really came up for me was how memorable some of those books were that that we read as young people um, and how they stay with you and how they influence what you're reading today um, and the way you think about the world so i'm hoping that we can we can talk about some of those. Um,
1: I, well, why don't we start and be self-indulgent about our own childhoods? I'll kick mm. us off. I was in a second-hand bookstore in Melville, actually, um, over the weekend. And I walked past uh, the books, just sort of scanning what is there. And I saw, obvious, uh, Enid Blyton. Yes. <laughs> and, and I had this moment. First, there was Enid Blyton on the one shelf, uh, Famous Five. And the other was um, Terry Brooks. Uh, The Shanera series uh, Which is sort of Fantastic magic realism type stuff And I had a moment Where I was like do I pick this book off the shelf And I didn't want to Because I was scared that the magic Will be gone I was wondering (laughs) what it would be like To reread. Then I almost bought a copy Because I thought it would be really interesting as As a 40 year old Trying to read The Famous Five again And I thought don't go there simply have emotions attached to the idea um, of being a very happy kid, having enjoyed the work of of Enid Blyton. Uh, What did you read uh, when you were young? Enid Blyton
2: was definitely there. Compulsory, wasn't it? Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) The Magic Faraway Tree, Moonface, all of them, and The Famous Five and The Secret Seven. Those were the Enid Blytons that I loved. Yeah. Yeah. and Fam-
3: famous yeah. 5 i think was such a a lovely one for me i really liked those characters Remember that, George? Do you remember George? She was the girl who was the tomboy, and she had these sort of strong opinions I'm sure and about short now, many, hair. And, many yeah. a thesis must
1: have been written whether she was lesbian, right? Oh, yes. yes. Georgina, no, yes.
3: affectionately known as, <laughs>
1: suspiciously known as George.
3: She had short hair. I mean, that you know, is yeah. basically tells you everything in that era. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, Life was much simpler in those days. You could just have short hair and want to be a boy, and that was fine. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's true. Yeah, That's absolutely yeah. true.
3: Yeah. But it's interesting how British the influences were um, yes. in our sort of era, I mean, I'm a bit older than you, but um, you know, a lot of the books that we read, and there was so little South African fiction really for young people, and I think that's something that's changed a lot. Um, I came from, I mean, my my sort of family background was British, and the kind of sort of whole, you know, white South African in the 80s or whatever, um, late 70s, was, you know, very much British influenced.
1: I think that was the length and breadth of the Right? because I got my books from the local library in Grahamstown, both, I mean, everything was segregated, so you had the library in town, And eventually blacks were allowed to use it. But even the library next to my house for sort of colored people, uh, that's where you would find the Secret Mm. Seventh, Famous Five, the Hardy Boys, W.E. Dixon. Mm. Um, And, yeah, I think the Brits sort of influenced what we read, didn't
2: they? They completely did, yeah. I mean, there's hardly any um, local stuff on the lists uh, for either Kate or I, I think. Mm. The one that did stand out for me, though, was Jock of the Bushveld.
1: That's true. uh, Which um,
2: I did read. And I remember crying at the end of that. It was the first book I ever cried in. <laughs> and it's hard to cry in a book. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's really got to move you. Um, but I did. I had a lovely edition with all those illustrations and the famous dung beetle pushing the, the role of dung the wrong way. Or mm. he's upside down when he's supposed to be the other way around. Um, and that I loved. And once again, it was that tie into adventure and mm. wanting to be outside and doing mm adventurous things.
1: How did you get into reading as a kid? Was was there lots of books in your house, mom and dad, siblings? Who, yeah. I, were you forced to read? Or? No,
2: no, no. I was not forced to read at all. There were a lot of books in my house, and my mom used to take us to the bookworm, which was a little bookshop somewhere on Jansmutz Avenue, and we loved that. Um, but I, I think it was also just a natural thing for me. I, I read more than anyone else in my family, and I always did as a kid. Hmm. Um, but I do remember the one book, that I always seem to to find as the moment when I just became an avid reader, because I shut my room myself in my bedroom for the entire day and read it from beginning to end, and that was the incredible journey um, by Sheila Burnford.
1: Oh, I don't know that one. Yeah, hmm. it's
2: it's three dogs. There's a lot of animals in our youthful <laughs> reading. It honestly, I mean, I'm still sad. Yes. I <laughs> it's also. I think about it now. Yeah. Yeah, so that uh, that for me was a. And where
1: where was your favorite place to read as a kid?
2: My bedroom, Mm. close
1: the door. Mm. Mm. How about you? Mm.
3: Yeah, I mean, I also grew up as a reader. I mean, we lived in the dark era before, you know, cell phones and <laughs> we didn't have TikTok <laughs> and Instagram. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I read a lot. I really, really did read a lot. Um, my mother was very literate. She was an editor and a writer and actually a kind of literacy activist. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, so we had a lot of that in our, in our background. Um, yeah, and as I say, I, wrote, I read a lot of um, those British type of books, My Family and Other Animals and so on. And then I also kind of have very strong memories of those those books that I think for a lot of people that you start to read as a teenager. And I was saying to Kate in the car, one of the things that we didn't have in our era was a young adult genre there was no kind of YA.
1: No. There
3: wasn't. So no. you went from reading basically children's books, yeah. some of which were quite sort of linguistically sophisticated, <laughs> to then reading like a whole lot of stuff that was probably too old for you and you didn't really understand, but you kind of stretched yourself to to read some of those things. You know, you didn't necessarily have the, the, the context. I mean... I I remember, sort of, as a a, a, as a sort of a teenager, reading things like Simone de Beauvoir or somebody like that. Who, Mm. like, I had no idea what was what Uh, I was doing. uh, You know, (laughs) I'm so
1: glad you say that because I'm going to ask you that whether there was any sort of method to the madness i i read very randomly as yeah. a kid and there weren't really readers much in my family i had an uncle who wasn't reading uh, w- when he was sober but he certainly never like tried to guide me with reading so from being sort of a youngster in primary school then becoming a teenager looking back now i think oh my god what were you thinking um because i i started reading when i was like 13 14 anything from sweet valley high <laughs> <laughs> to Virginia Andrews, uh, Flowers in the Attic. attic I mean, that's old. hectic oh, stuff. 12, 13 old yeah. Delving into this weird, weird, weird psychological stuff and a messy, yeah. mm. hot-ass family and reading that. And The Road Less Travelled, I think I read when I was mm. 15. But I could read that and the next day read another oh, installment. Or- exactly. Yeah. And so it was just you- completely, completely like unguided and taking anything right, off the it shelf. It was
2: completely. Yeah, I remember reading uh indaba my children the credo yes. was, mm. also read and that, something yeah. must have you know sparked mm. an interest for me there was obviously something yes. i wanted to understand or find out but quite honestly i don't think i understood very much <laughs> of the book at all it's pretty it's very turgid i so had that on. with
1: with um, I, in matric and i i thought by then i was a really you know, sophisticated reader doing decently in English literature. Um, having my first go, because I think one has many goes at it. And if you claim not to, you're a liar at reading The Famished Road. And I just couldn't get into oh, it. I really, yeah. really, really tried. I was, With apologies old to by Ben, Ben read, yeah. <laughs> 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 Okay. What books do you remember reading? O double one, double eight three, O seven, O two. What made you fall in love? with books and with reading as a child and as a teenager. And then the conversation we also want to have is now that you're older and there are young ones in your life, be they uh, little kids, toddlers, teenagers – what are they reading and are you reading with them? Are you buying books for them? What are they taking out? And Kate will also help us understand what's available, what's on the market. But we'd love to hear from you on 11 883 I'm going to ask the both of you to put your headphones on sure. as we take callers for this conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gus, I'm going to come to you in a second. I just want Kate Rogan to talk to me a little bit about uh, from the point of view of someone who is the owner of, um, of Love Books – what is out there these days? For teenagers. Yeah, for teenagers. Um, and are there books that are set in our context? Or are we still receiving wisdom from the Brits?
2: Um, it's mostly wisdom from the Brits and the Americans. Um, there's the odd stuff that's coming out. Um, uh, there's the Sun Children's Award where they do publish stuff for teenagers. But it's, you know, I, I don't know. There seems to be a, a lack of interest I feel in in our teenagers for for local stories. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, but which comes really which comes why. first? Yeah, the lack of interest or the lack of availability? There, that there isn't enough. Um, because
1: it can't be uncool to recognise yourself in a story. Yeah. yeah.
3: Um, have you read Edith Bullbring's books? Oh, yes, She's of got, yeah, she's a really nice writer for um, for teenagers, very sort of South African humorous. They, they're quite a lot, actually. They are, but I mean, they aren't maybe as well-known. I think there's a lot of
2: yeah. uh,
3: more knowledge around, you know, the, the, the sort of big series that are coming out of the States or, you know, those.
2: I think maybe, you know, um, a lot of the local stuff is prescribed. Um, so when you get to a bookshop, you don't want to look at the set works.
1: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good point. Um,
2: but, yeah, I think teenage fiction is uh, is quite temperamental. Mm. There's usually a theme, an overarching theme that um, people are looking for. It used to be vampires. Yes, um, I was
1: about to say. Yeah. Yes,
2: and then uh, it became a whole lot of other things, the supernatural but in in recent years, it's it's returned to real life drama uh, quite a lot. I think *The Fault in Our Stars* by John Green got that trend going, and then there was the movie. But um, I think where it differs so much from what the kind of stuff that Kate and I were reading is that it's it's very issue driven, and it's very there's a lot of drama. Parents are dying, parents are getting divorced, brothers are dying. There's a lot of that. A yeah, lot of stuff around mental illness
3: yes. and suicide and yeah. other illness. So That's it's, it's really quite interesting. a lot of dark mm. themes. And, mm. yeah, it's interesting to sort of mm. think about how you think about that because there's mm. this kind of idea that, you know, that children are these sort of innocent beings and they go through a lot. Yeah, still reading about puppies and kittens. Yeah, but actually, They experience
1: anxiety. Mm. They experience suicidality. Mm. And um, it's wonderful that some of those themes are broached, especially if it's mm. good quality literature. Yeah. Mm. Let's hear from the public. Margot, thank you so much for calling in.
0: Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, So I've got a uh, 11-year-old boy reader, which um, I believe is potentially quite unusual, and he loves detective stories. And I'm on a mission and it's on South African detective tales, you know. um, They seem to be quite thin on the ground. He is reading Fiona Snickers' Trinity series, um, which I'm sure you guys know. Mm. Yes,
1: we love it to bits.
0: And Um, yeah, I'd love to hear some more, some more, um, oh, I'd love to see some more, like James Bond, Junior James Bond, he's reading those Charlie Hickson tales, hmm. um, which are not local, you know, but if there were some local attempts
1: like that, I'm sure he'd eat them up. Oh, that's fantastic. I just love the fact that he's reading. I know I'm setting the bar low, but I want us to become a nation of readers. I think you missed the first part of that, Kate. Certainly. She was saying how wonderful it is. She's got a little 11-year-old son, and he just loves detective stories.
2: Yeah, I don't think there's anything local that I can think of mm. with a detective in it, a little South African detective. Um, Kate? No <laughs> I can't We'll
1: have to invent one We'll have to. Eh? I, I'm sure yeah.
3: that I'm actually not Sort of very uh, Au fait with that with that Element anymore Because yeah. my kids Are a little older than that So yeah. it's not my area Of expertise We'll have to invent one Yeah I think. Or yeah. we'll have all to right, ask one, one
1: of our friends yeah, yeah To do so <laughs> Yeah Zoukiswa or Fiona Fiona yeah. Yeah. Detective Eusebius That's got a nice ring to it <laughs> Karen Good morning
0: Hi Hi So um, I used to read The famous Five And all those books yes. My absolute favorite was um, Anne of Green Gables mm. and then The Man from Snowy River. And I think what I really liked about those books was the the female was always a, such a strong character and sort of inside because I felt a very sort of, um, conservative community where the men were always so important and made all the decisions. Mm. And um, in the books, it
1: sort of was an escape. The, you know, the female was actually strong. Ah, uh, the lines are great, Karen. But the point you make is clear, and it's a beautiful point. And it's funny you should mention that because as Margot was talking about detective stories, I was also thinking about some sort of detective legal um, stories that I used to love, uh, the ones written by Jonathan Kellerman. <laughs> that I also oh, yeah. used to read a lot when I was in high school, but um the heroes are always Boys or men?
3: I think one of the things that I really like about uh, children's literature is that. Often the books build a, a sort of a sense of personal power in some way or another, um, whether they're going on adventures or standing up to bullies, and, and and it would be nice to see. And we do see a lot of strong female figures. But one of the things uh, that somebody once said, one some famous children's writer said, the first thing you've got to do is get rid of the parents, kill them off first of all before you start. <laughs> <laughs> because you know, I mean, you want the children to have that agency, you know, and they can't be doing that if dad's going. have you put your hat on? Where's your sunblock? And don't you want some breakfast? You know, before you go and sort of, you know, fight the baddies or whatever, (laughs) um, solve the mystery. And I I think it's so interesting that, I don't know, when you do see the parents um, often, especially in those sort of Disney type things, you know, there might be a wicked stepmother or something, Mm. but they take those parents right out of it. Mm. And I think that's partially because it's a primal fear of kids.
1: None of the views expressed by the guests are necessarily the views (laughs) of front media. You see, can I just say
2: that there's a big shift uh, Mm. away from the male hero. Mm. Um, Oh, good. We have been taking up space. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's time. There's a lot of Fantastically spunky young uh, female detectives out there, heroes uh, written for right from the sort of early chapter book age Hmm. um, and obviously right into the YA category. And, you know, it's
1: so important. I I was uh, watching until I fell asleep, um, some of the Oscars being handed out and the acceptance speeches and the winners of the cartoon thingamajig um, Hair Love they made such an important point that kind of intersects with this present point we're making about girls and women as as the heroes and they made the point that when it comes to cartoons as 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 kids our first encounter with characters in the wonderful world of cartoons or in books that kind of like affirms to us what is normative mm. so your idea of what is what is what is permitted and what is normal is your your earliest encounters with what happens when you switch on the telly or what happens in cinema or what happens in the books that you open up
3: mm-hmm. and and, and,
1: and, was- and so it's really really difficult to exaggerate why that shifter kate is one that we should pay attention to as a matter of as a matter of justice if i don't see myself as a young black working class kid reflected in stories it's little wonder that I carry that insecurity with me 30 years later into other parts of society.
2: Well, it definitely is changing fast. Mm. Um, I would say there's actually a book, I don't know if you know it, called Good Night Stories for Rebel <coughs> Girls. It came out about four or five years ago. It's a kind of crossover book for young children and for for, for adults. And they take famous women, real-life women, um, they have a beautiful illustration of them, on, of them on the one side and they've written their life story next to them. And it feels to me from my position as a bookseller that that was a turning point. Yeah. Everybody's jumped on that bandwagon, which is a good bandwagon to have jumped on. But sure. it's 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 filtered right down. Picture flats, which is, you know, just normal 32-page picture books for very young toddlers and things. Mm. There's much more diversity across race, across Gender, everything mm-hmm. in all of them. So I think it's mm-hmm. it has changed visibly in the time that I've had a bookshop. I'm glad because there's yeah.
1: huge interest. We've got so yeah. many calls. I don't know what we're going to do, Laura. That's your problem. We may have to extend this conversation a little bit. Um, other Kate, sorry, yes. you wanted to say something and I interrupted you there. Uh,
3: no, no, I was just agreeing with you about uh, about your point, but also just saying that you know those those, those characters need to be lead characters and not bit pack characters and other people's other people's stories as well quite often. Um and also the other thing that um that books can do for us is to show us how other people who are different from us do live. And I think Absolutely. that's one of the most important things that I experienced as a child. And I think when you look back at some of those those books, um like The Diary of Anne Frank or To Kill a Mockingbird mm. or mm. there was one beautiful, powerful book at the time called The Didakoy by <coughs> Rupert Garden, which was about a, a young girl who was a what they would then call the gypsy you know, a, a travelling community mm. <laughs> outside of a village, and 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 how those people were othered, and how they were not accepted, and how they became accepted, and what those those kind of issues. And I think you know, one doesn't have to kind of beat people over the head with it, but if you do it well, and and sort of in a nuanced way, and in a good story um, that's page yes, turning. Such a beautiful know, it's, point. It's Beyond so important to be able to see other other 100%. humans. Hundred percent, and it, <laughs> like you say, it doesn't
1: need to be literal. Mm. But you build empathy or activate our empathetic capacity uh, through the magic of transporting people into lives that are not their own.
2: Mm. Interesting you say that, Eusebius, because there's actually studies um, that have proven that kids who read have more empathy. Mm. We like to pay attention to those studies. But there's, yeah. Mm. Beautiful. Mm. Hello, Gus. Hi.
1: Hi, Yusuvius,
4: and hi, Kate. Hi. Loka.
1: Thanks for holding on, Gus. I know you've been holding on. What are some of your memories, or what do you want to say?
4: Yeah. Well, I think, well, first of all, Kate, thanks for raising this. It's a really fascinating topic. I think when you're a teenager, uh, you're highly impressionable, and you're beginning to kind of think about the world in ways that you don't when you're a child, and in ways that you don't yet, because you're not yet an adult. And I remember growing up in the little town of Rudyport, uh, you know, discovering literature, uh, beyond, uh, the, the, the books of my childhood and discovering French existentialism, you know, Albert Camus and Jean-Paul Sartre, the yes. teenagers. And thinking, wow, I'm actually a French
1: existentialist. <laughs> no. So oh my god, that is so that is so beautiful. I got to interrupt you there because you've just okay. made me remember my own version of that. And one is yes. embarrassed, or I like to think of it, one grows up. My version of that was was reading Atlas Shrugged, oh, yes. and being completely convinced that that is a blueprint for the universe. <laughs> <laughs> That's
4: right. And then at the age of 17, I, you know, I was, I was, uh, instead of nine on a trick, I remember coming across Catching the Rye. I'd never heard of it. And, uh, I just it was absolutely amazing. Holden Caulfield, the anti hero of the book, is also 17. And just, you know, uh, as a, as a isolated kind of child, uh, teenager going through puberty, etc., discovering that there's this other person on the other side of the world, And, of course, Catching the Rise is written in the first person, so you think of it as Holden talking to you. Yes. And discovering that there's somebody else who thinks just like I did, it's, uh, it's really eye-opening. I think that's what literature does. It kind of makes us feel that we're not the only person going through something or thinking about something. And Holden Corford, of course, is a rebel, and he's a, a bit of an existentialist, and he goes through all sorts of social, socially awkward relationships, and I just felt that this guy, you know, he became, he became me. And I sort of thought that I was him. That's what literature does. It plunges you into somebody else's world to the extent that, you know, you kind of mix reality with the the, Absolutely. the you're
1: reading. Absolutely, yeah, thought, yeah. Are you still an existentialist or have you grown up?
4: Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you, as an adult, you go back and you, Look at the books you read in your teenage years. You see them through you see them through new eyes. You actually realise how naive you were and how you missed
1: the important mm. things. And you take the, the bits that work for you, and then that's right. Re- rethink them critically. Thanks, Gus. Uh, that's that's absolutely beautiful. It's amazing, right? Because you need, especially with a good teacher talking about if it is a compulsory read at school, um, Kate. Uh, which the a mockingbird was for many mm. of us. But that guided teaching can make a difference, it can make, make a huge difference. Because mm. sometimes the un, the reading that we read on our own, which is fine and fabulous, uh, we can also read uncritically. But I think there's an important point to that for me, which is one of the functions of reading that we shouldn't belabor, or, or rather we belabor the, the more grand functions like it builds empathy. You can have functional knowledge out of it. The other is just pure joy.
3: Mm. I couldn't agree with you more. Mm -hmm. I think that is so important. And I think for parents particularly that it's more important to build that than to be- to get your kids reading something that's worthy or stretching or inspirational or mm. has a message i think that if you don't enjoy it you're never going to finish it and you're not going to pick up the next one and i think we really need to keep our focus on, on on people on getting kids to really love i mean for me it was it was a special time you know i really loved reading yeah um, and now it's harder because you know we've all destroyed our concentration on social media <laughs> <reading. laughs> teenagers included yeah <laughs> and- (laughs)
1: Adults as well. That's so true. Um, You know that once I have you, you can't go anywhere, right? Shall I keep you for a few more minutes? Is that okay?
0: Sure. The Literature Corner.
1: Yeah, we're hanging out with Kate Sidley, who's a regular on the show. We love her to bits, a writer, a viewer. And then we also have the owner of Love Books with us, the other Kate, who's here. Uh, Kate, I've never had to say your name. Am I saying your surname properly? It's just Kate Rogan. Yeah. What That's you see it? is how Phonetic. you say. It. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you know, like you see a name written for years, and I know who you are. <laughs> I can smell, I can spell it in one of those pub quizzes where you've got to spell the answer. But now you've got to like utter it. and You're not quite yeah, sure, no, you're and you look. Ride, you are me. uber polite. So even if I was messing it up, I wonder whether you'd correct well, me. She's
3: got a silent G, <laughs> <laughs> like lasagna. <laughs>
1: Okay, we've got a billion calls. I, mean, I want to get to as many of them as possible. But let's finish a beautiful thought that you had, uh, Kate Sidley, around the importance of just joy. Now, next to that point, we should also remark a little bit on interesting stylistic choices that writers mm. who write for children and for young adults can make to draw them in. Um I was commenting, for example, on how much I enjoyed the Choose Your Own Adventure books.
3: Yeah, and I I think that is so true. And I think you you get more sort of um, in tune with that as you read more. And I was thinking what Gus Silber was saying about The Catcher in the Rye and that first-person narrator was so powerful and you were right in his shoes. And I I remember reading that and thinking that, you know, like you can do that. You know, you can mm-hmm. actually create that person. Um, and stylistically, thinking of what people can do. And I remember reading as a as a child quite a lot of that sort of nonsense poetry. Doctor Seuss, Edmund Lear, Lewis Carroll. You know, those rhymes and, and and being so so drawn in by the playfulness of that language. And, yes. and it and it's so endearing and exciting when you sort of first come across it. And actually, funny enough, read something the other day. I've got a nine year a, a six year old niece, and I was reading her um, some of that. Uh, 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 Lewis Carroll, mm. uh, you know Jabberwocky and things like that, and those meaningless words that have so much <laughs> meaning, and it's just interesting. And I think I think now you see you see quite a lot of diaries, for example. I've seen mm-hmm. quite a few of those around Kate. You know, yeah. those kind
2: of diaries, sort
3: of following on the Adrian Mole kind of yes. vibe. Yeah. Wimpy Kid, uh, Wimpy Kid, Autumn those kind of yeah, things. those are great, and they're so, usually yeah.
2: illustrated. They're yeah. great for reluctant readers and that and anyone who's a young reader i was about to say we,
1: we haven't even to, go ahead
2: yeah no, i just wanted to uh comment that kate was mentioning dr sears the jabberwocky alice in wonderland lewis carroll it's all still there it, it mm. has staying power I mean, that's we, true, yeah. you know, yeah. and it's wonderful.
1: Yeah, because the idea is to expand yeah. the UV, It's not so much to obliterate mm. the stuff that's mm. good. Some stuff mm. travel mm. and they look, they are around for, for good reason because they remain compelling. Mm. Uh, what I was going to say was a, a small, but a, I think big point we don't show enough love to to illustrators because mm. that's an important part especially kids who can't yet read when you introduce them you read uh, to them and with with them having beautiful and fantastic and fantastical illustrations can also draw them into the power of stories before they into reading mm.
2: And I think that's also developed quite a lot since we were kids. You know, you'd have the odd illustration there and then a whole lot of writing. Now it's a l- integrated speech bubbles, uh, specially designed to appeal to reluctant readers, dyslexic mm-hmm. children, whatever. Beautiful. Yeah.
1: Marie, good morning.
2: Hi. It's Um, I was just wondering, uh, young teenagers.
0: Uh, I've got a nephew, and when he was a young teenager, he used to love all the
1: spud books.
3: Mm. Oh yeah, those are and, great. Those also sort of really yeah. cross ages, don't they? From kids to adults.
1: Adults, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah.
1: They do, and 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 this is the thing about good so-called children's books, and I say so-called because many of these books, like cartoons that you watch with your little niece or nephew. You find that they're actually very good allegories for issues in life that quite frankly affect you whether you are 50 or six. Yeah. And the SMUD series is, is another example of that I mean I had Huck Finn as my metric set work And it's a fantastic book because it's one of those books that you can read Regardless of where your level of literacy is at You can either simply enjoy the adventures down the river Or you can take it as a really, really serious commentary on on American society
3: Which did you do? <laughs>
5: <laughs> Discuss 50 marks
1: My beta huh? good morning
5: Hi, good morning, CBS. And good morning to your guests. Morning. Talk Hi. to us, yeah. Growing up, uh, I I wasn't really too aware of books and such. I mean, uh, growing up in a township, both my parents were civil servants. But the amazing thing is that my dad used to belong to readers' digest. Yes. And we'd often get those books. Uh, and the condensed nice versions. Yes. Exactly, four books in one. And, and he'd bring those home a lot. And I remember just one day, I don't know what it was, but I decided to stop playing with the other trinkets that came with the books mm. um, and picked up a book. Um, and I read a book titled, I Am Not Scared by Niccolo Amaniti. Mm. Um, and then went on to read another one uh, called The Life and Death of Charlie St. Cloud. And later on as an adult, the book was made into a film. Mm. And that was so nice for me to actually see some of the things I read as a younger person um, still being carried alive through movies. But I think, you know, a lot of the books I've read have, have become movies. I've decided not to watch them though because I think, there's just so much that a book does to grip you and take you in that a movie just cannot do. That's true. Um, and yeah. I'm not sure if that's the same with all books that people have read, but definitely for me, mm-hmm. my childhood books are uh, being inspired from *Youth Digest*. How just, old are uh, you now, my better? What really got me. I'm 29 now.
1: Okay. And have you kids or the kids in your family? that you do you read for them?
5: Um, I've tried uh, buying my nephew a couple of books to read, but, uh, you know, he's competing with television. Uh, those books uh, are not going to be able to compete with social media and iPads and all sorts of things that we have in society today.
1: Okay, because I was, was going to say, side by, you have a beautiful voice. When we do the reading corner and the literature corner, please call in. I'd love to hear you also, also reading. But that's so true. Many people have memory of, of Reader's, uh, digest, Reader's Digest, and yeah. that that was that was our way in.
2: Yeah. Well, what I'm, I love yeah. about what Mabeta says is, <laughs> I mean, I have memories of Reader's Digest, and I was in a white, middle-class family, mm-hmm. and my grandparents ordered those books. Yes. And I remember reading them, and I love that he's still trying them on his youngsters.
1: Yeah, I absolutely love it. Hello, Celeste. Okay, we'll come back to Celeste. Desiree, thank you so much for holding on. Welcome to the show.
6: Yeah. Thank you so much, you and your guests. It's my first time calling in. And uh, I'm very um, happy to uh, be listening to this show. My daughter, two weeks to this day, I actually introduced her to reading. She's actually 10 years. I know it's a bit too late. But uh, I, you know, encouraged her to go to the library at school herself a book which she came back with and she was delighted. I was I was over the moon actually. She even took pictures and showed it to my mother and uh, she just started reading and she's enjoying it very much. That's so great and it's never too late. Absolutely. <laughs> it's never too late exactly. <laughs> I enjoy reading myself. I mean um I think I fell in love with reading at the age of 7 when my mother had the Daniel Steele oh, yeah. uh romantic books yes I I enjoyed in addition's books as well I heard somebody mentioning um when we not when we dropped together uh, the, the Ryan, the catcher I actually uh read that book last year uh, as I'm a communication science student so one of my modules are english and I enjoyed it very much
1: and do you read with or to your little one?
6: I do read to her and with her as well. She enjoys. She actually enjoys my reading because she says I'm very expressive, and um, mm. she just enjoys that. You know, so I think that's what draws her to reading as well. She wants to how I interact.
1: Mm, that's that's absolutely gorgeous. And again, we can hang on and on and on about. Things that you know you appreciate later in life—the the early memories, the bonding with your children—I mean, those are those are special, special moments. Um No one read to me. I was I, no, not in trying. To, I mean, I loved reading as a kid, right? So I, I didn't mind being left alone. But it must be really special uh, to look back and have memory of mom or dad or someone older reading to you or reading for you.
2: I think it's so important, Eusebius, that it's, because it's such a physical thing, it's not just a cerebral thing at all. Mm. There's so much going on when they, you've got a tiny baby or a toddler. It mm. yeah, so it's, it's very fundamental.
1: Mm. Celeste, I think we've got you in a better line. How's it? Okay, we're going to cut our losses with Celeste for today, <laughs> uh, but we'll take one last call. Ian, good morning. Hello, Ian.
0: Uh, good morning, Eusebius. Thanks for the show. You know, I was listening to your show earlier today in, in the first hour, and I really appreciated the comments that you made about racism and the extent to which it's been imprinted on us in South Africa, particularly as white privileged people. And, you know, I, was, I joined the show now again, and I was thinking, where does this come from? And I think a lot of it does come from children's literature. As you were talking now, uh, before you even mentioned Mark Twain, I thought about Huckleberry Finn. and The use, the uh, use of the N-word in mm, that text mm. would never be acceptable in South Africa if it was the K-word. And I think of Enid Blyton, mm. the naughty books yes. that we were exposed to, were full of those same stereotypes. Mm. But even further back... Um, I don't know if you know Stephen Taylor's The Calabin Shaw about the wrecking of the Grosvenor and how that really imprinted racism mm. in the colonial psyche. Mm. The, the African as a savage to, you know, instead of rescuing people from the boat, with, you know, they ravaged them. Where does that racism come from? And to a great extent, I do believe it comes from the literature we were exposed to. And I think we need to deconstruct that as part of whatever project we want to involve on. Thank you very much for the show. I really appreciated what you said this morning.
1: Thank you, Ian. What an exceptionally important, thoughtful intervention that is. I, yeah, I've had many discussion... Before with, with activists for reading, given our high levels of literis, high levels of illiteracy in the country, many people who can't read for comprehension, we, we sometimes, Kate and Kate, think that it's better to read anything rather than nothing at all. And in a sense, for me, what Ian challenges us to do is to say, in a country with complex socio-political, identitarian and other crises. We don't have the luxury of choosing our battles. We need to fight all of our battles. We need children to own books, to love books, to learn to read, to read with comprehension. And we also need to be alive to what can happen to your society depending on what is inside the book. Which is things that I didn't think about as a kid. We we're just enjoying reading, reading uncritically. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and and other parts of entertainment the same thing. I mean, we had a conversation a few weeks ago on the show about gaming. If if it's always a damsel in distress that's mm. being rescued by these bulky male figurine type characters at the arcades games that you go and play at, at your corner shop, that imprints a certain kind of messaging on the minds of children and, and, and I think we we should think about those things critically.
2: I think we should. And I think Parents obviously have a a big role to play when kids are younger, I think, but I think in high school, the schools have a role to play, and from what I can see, a lot of them are very engaged in it, decolonizing their curriculums, English teachers having forums with uh, parents and girls, so um, I think we are moving somewhere, Mm. slowly.
3: (laughs) yeah just to add to that i think when when kids are younger you're mediating those things so even if a message is complicated in some way or, um, or or whatever you're able to kind of think about that and say why why do you think that person did that why do you think they made that comment what is going on you know mm. and i think when when you when kids are young i think that's one of the reasons as you go back to what you're saying before why reading with your kids at least some of the time is quite helpful because mm. you do get to to deconstruct some of what's going on and to to ask them leading questions around what's going on. But I mean, to your point, I absolutely agree with you. I and mean, I think yeah, I mean, it's the, and you know, books. and not
1: just on the race yeah. question, on so many mm. other things, right? Mm. And it's not about being PC; it's a no. matter of justice. I, I, I we, we can all think of countless examples in TV, in film, um, and in yeah. books, where, for example, the bad guy will be someone who is who has disability, who's got one leg. Mm. The person with one leg is not going to be the hero, typically part of the problem. What kind of messaging does that send? Yeah, you
3: know what I mean? Yeah. No, it does. I mean, and, and, and that stuff is quite invisible to us quite often. Mm. So it
2: is important to, to think about it. Mm. Well, as I was saying earlier, hum, things are changing even from the picture book reading age. I mean, I can think of a book with that as an example. Mm. A person, A child in a wheelchair, lovely little drawings, mm. and they are the hero. So things have changed.
1: Beautiful. On a parting shot, is there a book, whether you were a kid or teenager, a young adult, that has st- really stayed with you for life?
3: Oh, I can tell you mine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's a it's a light book, but "My Family and Other Animals" by Gerald Darrell. I don't know if you've ever read that book. Mm-mm. It's the most fantastic book. He he, his his father dies, and his, it's autobiographical. His father dies, and the mother takes the four children to corfu decides to leave gloomy england and go to corfu and he is absolutely obsessed with nature and he collects animals and you know it's it's just it's hilariously funny it's got a lot of sort of natural history in it a lot of family family stuff and i, I remember just being so amazed that you could do that that you could—you don't have to sit in gloomy England. You can—you <laughs> know, you can just go to Corfu, and and it was—I mm. think that's one of the things that books do for you. They give you that sense of possibility. And I'm thinking, well, why would anyone be mm. in gloomy England? They could be in Corfu, catching scorpions and having adventures, and you know, in these sort of olive groves and cypress trees. And it really that's, is that's a fun gorgeous, book to read, yeah. and I would recommend yeah. it. Still, I'll, it's good. I read it with my kids. I'll give one, yeah. and
1: then Kate will close us off. Um, I was lucky enough that I had some excellent English language teachers at Graham College from grade eight up to matric. And so my set works would be examples of books that have stayed with me because they were taught so well. Uh, one of many is The Old Man and the Sea. Mm. I had a problem as a kid. I used to think if you have, you know, lots of big words in your poetry, if you have these elaborate adjectival phrases in your compositions that you are now writing really, really well. And one of the things I love about that book, and particularly the way Mr. Holder taught it, is that the economical use of language can, can tell a simple and beautiful story. You don't have to pad it.
2: Hmm. And then mine um, is a book that my mum gave me, and I can see now why she gave it to me. It's Andre Brinks' An Instant in the Wind. Oh. I was 14, and I disagreed with absolutely everything my mother had to say <laughs> about politics, and she obviously decided she was going to just open my eyes, which at the time was not eye-opener. It would have been end of the 70s, beginning of the 80s. It's because, of course, it's an interracial love affair, story of a young slave who falls in love with an older white woman. Um Yeah, that was the book that made a big impression on me and I think maybe was the start of my love for South African fiction. Mm
1: -hmm. Kate Rogan is the owner of Love Books in Marvel. It's one of our... Uh, Best independent uh, bookstores that you'll find in the country. Does amazing book events and also some incredible books that it sells. A really beautiful place to just go and read as well, besides buying books and the events. Please go and check it out. It's a novel called Love Books. And, of course, Kate Sidley, you know, as a friend of the show, and she does amazing work around also uh, proselytizing the love of literature and reading. Kate and Kate, thanks for coming in.